Welcome to the Weave Podcast. My name is Sarah Resnick, and I'm the host of this podcast and the owner of the online weaving yarn shop, Gist Yarn and Fiber. Thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, Shepherd's Dream. If you haven't heard of them and you love all things fiber and textiles, you're really in for a treat. Shepherd's Dream is a pioneer in the North American natural mattress industry, spearheading the movement towards hand-crafting, synthetic-free, and non-toxic bedding since the early 1980s. Why am I talking about bedding on this weaving podcast? It's because Shepherd's Dream is making their bedding out of my favorite sustainable fiber, wool. They make wool mattresses, wool pillows, wool comforters, wool mattress toppers, everything you could dream of for your home. They source their wool from sustainable and domestic sheep farms and take great pride in representing the critical link between their local wool growers and their many customers. All of their products are handmade in Northern California. If you've been interested in taking the toxics out of your bedding, definitely take a look at this wonderful company. You can visit them at www.shepherdsdream.com and use the code FIBER5 for 5% off anything in their shop, excluding raw materials, plus free shipping, and that's valid through July 2019. This week on the podcast, I'm talking to Ariana Funk. Ariana is a hand weaver in Stockholm and the founder of Weave of the Month Club, a subscription service to liven up the world of weaving drafts. Welcome to the podcast, Ariana. I'm so glad to be talking to you today. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Can you start out by introducing yourself and sharing a bit about how you found your way towards textiles and towards weaving? Sure. Uh, my name is Ariana and I'm a weaver, which is um, a thing that we talk about a lot here that's exciting to be able to say. I'm a full-time weaver right now. Um, and I guess that I got into it um, because I, I have a bachelor from Bates College in Maine in theater and a master's in visual culture costume studies from NYU. And when I moved to Sweden in 2011 to be with my partner, it was not that easy to find a job because there are really great um, fashion studies. Visual culture costume studies is like fashion history. And there are really great programs for that here also. So, And there are not so many jobs in that, mm-hmm. it turns out. So um, we moved to Colorado and then we moved back to Stockholm. And I decided that I... I needed to go to school because I felt like I didn't have a good network here, even though Eric, has, who's my partner, has really great friends. And um, I don't know, I just wasn't connecting on a professional level. So um, I thought, am I going to do another master's? Am I going to do, you know, crazy thoughts? And so, um, but I thought I wanted to go back to the basics so that I could sort of stick with the theme of um costume is the like academic word for it but fashion and everything and and that textile um interest Uh, but then i go back to basics and really learn from the ground up and so then uh so i applied to which is the school i went to um thinking that i would go all three years which i did and um and it was only maybe after i got in there or something like that that i realized that uh a lot of the women who are really meant a lot to me were all weavers, mostly part-time, even though it had important, um, it was an important thing for them in their lives. So my mother wove for a long time and Susan Funk is her name. Maybe some listeners have known her from hmm. Norm, from Norma Shearer's um, uh, workshop. And then Desiree Coslin, who is my textile professor and is a mentor and actually is from Uppsala, where we moved first in Sweden. 
and she lives here now too. And then um, Marilyn Cowgill, who is in Colorado, and she's Dr. Marilyn Cowgill, I should say, um, was an important person for me when I lived in Colorado. And they're all weavers. And I sort of was like afterward, I realized, oh, maybe that's part of why I was drawn to it too, even though they all have different professions or, you know, they don't do weaving full time. So, so that's how I got into it. And now it just made so much sense when I, I don't know, it just uh, fit in a, in a way that I felt often like I was trying to make this fashion history stuff fit the weaving fit hmm. just naturally. So what kind of loom did you weave on and what was it about it that made it feel like it was fitting? Well, the, actually the first thing I did when I, when we moved to the new apartment in Stockholm, there was a little um, note in the, uh, sorry, a lot of these words are in Swedish from my brain. There's a little, note, <laughs> a little note in the laundry room, because there's a, it's a thing here, and we even have a mangle in our laundry room, and uh, that said, oh, we want to give away this little foldable loom, which is called a Göte Vävstol. And um, so I had that for a very long time, and I, and I, I think... There's a great picture of me sitting in a backpack on my mother's back when I, I must have been not even a year or maybe a year looking over her shoulder. And so I feel like there's probably something still left in there mm -hmm. <laughs> um, from such a long time ago. And I don't know, it just makes sense to me. It's a system and a language that that just comes naturally to me, the whole um I don't know, the whole like bending slada, the whole weaving and like techniques and draft writing and everything just seems like it makes sense in my brain. I don't have to work that hard at it. <laughs> so, um, and then when we got to school, the schools, um, I think actually when I was there, they got rid of the last um, counter balance loom, I think is what it's called. And and they only have counter marsh looms. So that's the only loom for me, actually. <laughs> hmm. And so you studied costume and textiles in the U.S. and then weaving and textiles in Sweden. And what were the differences in the ways that those were being taught and learned? Well, I think the most, the biggest difference is that this master's in visual culture is like when I went, I feel like it had a very like strong museum focus and collections focus. And so <clears throat> textiles, our textile history class was a really important part of it, but it was very much to support an understanding of how textile forms these clothes and so if you wanted to do a textile program that maybe you would go to a different school like it's not something that I mean you obviously people can make what they want of it but it, I think if you wanted to do a textile history course you would go to a different mm. place but now so I don't know if that's true any, anymore maybe they've changed a bit but it was like more of a supporting role at this visual culture I think that's why I wasn't really super interested in it even though my teacher Desiree was so so great I didn't, it didn't quite catch my interest because it was very academic and very much like on paper and looking at slides. And, and then of course, going to like the Rowdy Center at, at the Metropolitan because um, they have really good connections there. And I just like didn't, I was so focused on fashion and on, on, on like on clothing objects in collections. And so I just didn't quite see the textile. So this um, school that I went to, which is called Friends of Handicraft in English, they are... There are a lot of really good weaving schools in Sweden, but this school I think is really special because it still teaches a really high level of technique in hand weaving. So the skills that I came out of that school with are 
I don't think you can get it anywhere else in Sweden, personally. I should also say that I am going to be teaching there, which is not why I'm saying this, <laughs> but I'm going to be teaching there also this semester. So, um, so that's exciting, but it's why I'm really glad. I think I'm realizing more and more now that I've left the school and I'm, uh, have my own business and I'm supporting myself on weaving, how much those skills, because I'm interested in technique and interested in, in the, structure and the in drafts and all that sort of thing that that um is something that you can really take away from here there are obviously other schools where you get a good education in that sort of thing too but this it's like a special focus at this school and it makes it really special so what kind of weaving are you most drawn to and most doing these days and what kind of materials are you working with the I would say that I would say my first, my two favorite techniques are <laughs> um, are a technique called flossa, which is um, that word has become a, a totally new meaning now nowadays. But um, it is a short pile. It's like a pile carpet um, technique. So it's like a rea. It's the same knot, but it's a much tighter and shorter pile. So that's my very favorite. Uh, thing to weave, I would say. And I have a, a warp in one of my looms ready to go and I'm really excited. <laughs> and then my other favorite is uh, waffle weave because it is actually really much more, um, it has kind of humble origins and a like washcloth dish rag kind of way. And, but I've used it and especially um, we'll talk about weave of the month club later, but uh, used it in a few different ways last year and I won't be doing it this year because it's, well, anyways, I'll go into that later, but um, it's definitely a favorite. And I've, I, I think I, I must have woven, I don't know, 20 yards of it uh, in the past few months. So um, in different ways, I've used it for um, and made like a felted, a really huge felted scarf. But I also make a lot of face cloths and I um, make a lot of uh, like hand towels and also uh, bath towels with it. It's just like it just feels so versatile, even if it's so, I don't know, um, it's such a grid. Uh, mm-hmm. But so... I often use linen and then probably the next one is wool and then the next one is maybe cotton for a, diff- a lot of different reasons. But I make mostly um, what in Swedish is called textilier, which means like practical textile stuff to be used like face cloths or like towels or like um, another example that I make is a uh, bath mats actually. <laughs> and um, not uh, because they're easy to sell, but because they're interesting too. It's a sort of an interesting exercise, I guess, in the human role in textile production. So, hmm. I'd love to talk to you a little more about that. I was looking on your website and thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about for this podcast. And I came across the way you describe one of the things that you're interested in, mm-hmm. which is that you're interested in the production hand weaving and the fluidity between the human and the machines in weaving in the past and in the future. Mm-hmm. And I can hear you kind of touching on that and what you're talking about, about weaving these functional objects. But I'm sure curious if you can talk more about where that curiosity comes from and what you're exploring with that. Yeah, I think it started in um, in school, uh, I guess. So I ma- I would say that I make a lot of these Brooks 60, these um, uh, practical things. Um, and then also this flossa, these carpet, uh, pile carpet things, because I'm, I'm interested in making things that most people buy, textiles that most people buy mass produced nowadays and trying to sort of add the human back into that process or like maybe also make the human more um, visible because I think a lot of the humans, as we all know, the humans who make 
handwoven things like carpets are often not very visible. I think it's getting better with Instagram, and I think a lot of smaller companies are are being getting much better at showing the artisans behind it. But that um, I don't know. I'm interested in thinking about what you want to surround yourself with, and that um, I make things that I want to use um, because I think it's really important to use use your own the things that you make, but also to surround yourself with um, with things. Let's say in Swedish. We've been talking a lot about the bokhälade objektet, so the the um, objects with a soul, <laughs> so to speak. Mm. And so, um, and I think that it's sort of interesting and important to make and surround yourself. It, make if you can, and surround yourself even if you can't <laughs> with things that um, have meaning. And textiles, of course, have become um, something that we're very good at throwing away. <laughs> so, mm. um, and so, uh, I think that the interest also in the human role in production came from a very short internship I did at Eaton Hill Textile Works with with Justin Squizero, but um, he learned from Kate Smith, who then also learned from, from Norman Kennedy. So it's an important line of people here. But what I took away from being there, Justin and I met a long time ago when we were both worked at Plymouth Plantation um, and has sort of followed his amazing, you have to... You, have to look him up and follow him because he is this really incredible weaver and is also really interested in the human role in production and efficiency and how weaving by hand can be a thing that you can support yourself on and make beautiful things quickly. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I'm not sure if that's how he would explain what he does, but that's what I like about what he does. Um, And so um, I think production weaving by hand is much more common also in the United States and the UK because it has, there's a different tradition um, maybe of like cottage industry stuff. It, it's not that it didn't exist here and I need to do a lot more research before I <laughs> talk about it as a professional here or as a expert. But I, you know, I've only heard of one other person with a flying shuttle in all of Sweden. I know they're not that, that common in the States either. Uh, but I'm wanted to buy one because Justin bought one, and then our friend Anne also bought one. So now <laughs> I want to buy one <laughs> or buy, buy or made. So. Can you explain what a flying shuttle is to people I who might not know? Can try. <laughs> I mean, so the way that I explain it, I mean, the way I understand it, and why I want to get one is that it helps make you much more efficient because it means you don't have to throw the shuttle with your own hands. There's a contraption with two boxes on the end of your beater, and um, the boxes have a cord attached and so with a little handle so that you can just um it's called rickverk in swedish so rick is like to no i'm not going to be able to remember what the, <laughs> what the transition <laughs> but it, it's um where you can just pull i guess pull is a good way to say it. you pull it on it and and the shuttle is sort of thrown by this little contraption so it means you can throw the shuttle much faster and it also takes so because it, it takes away just these few seconds of handling the shuttle so um, it seems like all of the weavers that I really admire are buying them now. So I want to, or buying or making their own. And so I, I want to be in that group. <laughs> mm. So, but they're not very common here. So, um, so I'm sort of researching how, that and how, what it can um, do for my production. What so, kind of what kind of weaving is more common in in Sweden? I don't know what to say. I, I it's hard to say because there's so many people who do do so many different things. Like, um. I mean, obviously, rag rugs is so are really popular, especially among people who are more sort of hobby weavers. And then a lot of I would say that the tradition that when people think about Swedish weaving, I think they often think about rag rugs. I think they think about um, Ria and Flossa, like these carpet things, maybe more in Scandinavia is better well known. And then um, 
And then, of course, like traditional techniques like rose path and those sort of and monk spell and all those sort of things are maybe um, Scandinavian weaving. Um, usually pretty simple stuff. I think a lot of people, when they had a loom in their home, either in the 19th century or in the 20th century, have four um, four harness looms. And so I think a lot of the sort of traditional or popular things to weave are, um, I think that is, that affects people's choice of what they want to weave. But on the other hand, I just uh, got to take over this amazing damask um, extension with 60 uh, poles. I don't know how to talk about that in English either. 60 different design poles that this woman just had bought and was going to use just for her own use and never did and wanted to pass it on to somebody. So I'm so grateful that I got to snap that up. Hmm. So there there are people who only work with, only, only, I mean, only is a unfair way to say it, but with rag rugs their whole life and have this amazing production of rag rugs either for their own sake or selling them. And then there are people who make damaged tablecloths. I mean, it's just, there's so many different things. Um, But I do think that this thing about making these rugs is actually a pretty significant Swedish tradition that I, anyways, it's one that I really like. Hmm. So you're a founding member of studio super jewel. Yeah. I don't know if I pronounced that right. You tried to You're teach close me enough. before we started talking. <laughs> Can you tell me a little about that? Absolutely. It's We are a group of seven uh, weavers um, who started a, a like a physical studio together. We all have our own um, production and our own small businesses, but we all we do um, a few projects together. We're starting to do that more, and we exhibit together. Um, and I guess that our... Uh, what we have in common is that we want weaving to remain really relevant and especially hand weaving. There's one of us who is um, really impressive. Um, uh, competence is is the Swedish word, <laughs> competence, in um, industrial weaving also because she went to um, the weaving school in Berås. But we all are hand weavers also. And, um, but it, but it, our work is very different. And so that is something that makes us really strong as a group. But so having a group is really, it makes us a lot more visible and it creates interest in uh, first and foremost that, that there are seven people who are doing this right now. And we know that, (laughs) we know that there are so, so many other people. So we try to also, we try to create interest in, in weaving because we know that there's so many people out there who do it and who are sort of in our generation or in our place in our careers and um, that we we know that weaving is still relevant and is still a really important thing that people do either as a hobby or also as a profession and um, we want more people to know about it and have an appreciation for the different ways that it can be expressed so um, I want to say that the um, members are Miriam I have to say them in Swedish or else it's going to sound weird (laughs) but um, Miriam Parkman and then me, Ariana Funk, Siri Pettersson, Vega Matta Siltberg, uh, Ia Sentahal, Miriam Hemström, and Josefin Jävert. And so we're not all in the same place anymore, but our group is still together. And it's sort of, I think, even been, become stronger. One of us is doing a, a master's at Bros, and one of them has um, switched to a studio that fits her needs a little bit better. And then one person is also working as a professionally as a weaver for an artist in Berlin. So it's pretty exciting stuff there's jobs for weavers out there it's really exciting <laughs> can you talk a little more about that and advice about how you found your way towards making a living as this and, and what advice you might have for people that want to do that themselves or that want to build studios the way that you did and collectives with other people what can you share about that journey 
I think that we were very lucky that we, uh, uh, six of us were, um, were graduating and sort of nervous about what we were going to do. And this, and this, um, uh, this studio space, it's really just a, it's really a basement space, um, that has been used as a studio for many generations of women, mostly who have uh, graduated from this same school, actually. So it's kind of fun. And um, it became available at the same time. And I was still in school, but we also jumped on the chance to be here together and be able to share equipment and support each other and have that um, people to be able to talk to um, and ask for advice or how to solve a a technical issue or whatever thing. Um, And I I guess Sweden has a long tradition of group collaboration. um, And so we're similar but not the same um but so it's sort of like a it's a thing that's um familiar to a lot of Swedes and so I think we've been compared to a lot of those groups which is very flattering <laughs> um but it just seems like if you have the opportunity to do it it would really be it just seems like if you're t- speaking of advice I mean it just seems like if you have the chance to start a collective or a group and it doesn't have to be something where you do projects all together or that you only design stuff together you can have your own your own work but um, it really has been an important thing for all of us. I think it's not easy, <laughs> but it is, it's really exciting. And, and, um, knowing that there are, and here we have six other people doing it, um, on the same level. So it's pretty exciting. Hmm. Um, but the, I don't know, I think I keep talking about, um, cause I've sort of been talking with a lot of people about being an entrepreneur or making a, a living on on craft because it's obviously something that's relevant all the time and it's always in the back of people's minds or the front of people's minds. Um, but I guess that I the way that I talk about it right now is that um, I personally have monetized my my knowledge and and my skill set so that um, I am a teacher and I also that's sort of the basis of uh, Weave of the Month Club, which which I think you mentioned earlier where I felt like there wasn't a lot of, there weren't, there may be a few new books in Sweden and that's really important. And obviously Vav magazine, it's really important um, as a generator of new weaving drafts and inspiration. But I felt like it would be exciting to do something in just a little bit of a different format. And obviously the more, the merrier. So Weave of the Month Club is a way that I can weave the things that I want to weave, but also share that information. And so some of the things that I've made for Weave of the Month Club have also sold as products but um the real focus is is on weaving drafts so every month uh, members get a new draft sent to their inbox and right now i'm working on more of like a digital platform kind of thing so they more get a link than an actual pdf that they can go and they go into the member site and can download it and analog uh, they have also what's called an analog subscription and people then get um, and those members get a hand-woven sample as well as a yarn card and i don't know what you call it when you have like um, samples of the yarn that was were used. Yeah, color card we call color it. card, <laughs> the color card um, for the uh, the different yarns that I've used for the project. So, um, so that is the basis of that, and it's a way for me to keep. I keep saying relevant. I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it just seems like that's the most important thing right now is that weaving is so relevant for all of us, and obviously all of your listeners and so many other people. But how do we make it relevant for other people, and so that we can either sell our work or I don't know, gain a different kind of appreciation from the people around us. Um, and so Swedish weaving, it's a way to spread spread knowledge about Swedish weaving. I don't weave exclusively Swedish stuff, but it's obviously that's how I learned. That's where I, I really learned to weave. And it is something that inspires me every day. 
and that they're just I don't know I just thought it was such a fun thing and I feel I've gotten a lot of really great feedback from people who are, who really love that it's a different way of thinking about weaving drafts and a different way of um, receiving them and I think a lot of people really like that if you get a little sort of really positive sort of kick in the but every month to say, have you, have you been weaving? Try this. <laughs> Should you, do you want another, do you need more ideas? And you guys are also really great for that too. So. I love that. I love that. I'm so glad you started talking about the Weave of the Month Club because I wanted to get right into that. So you offer this in Swedish and in English. Is that right? I do. Exactly. But it's in a Swedish style. So it's in English, in English, in both Imperial and metric. Um, nice. Measurements, yeah. <laughs> I realize I have to do do that. It takes a lot of time, but it's yes. totally worth it. And so, so it's in the Swedish style of draft, so that and I, but I do also include for the English speaking people because they're spread out all over the world. So I don't know what different traditions people weave in, but so I do have an introduction also that hopefully it's very short, but I think that it um, shows how to use a Swedish draft. It's not as different as you think. <laughs> it's sort of hard to get your mind around it. I can't look, I have a, actually a really hard time looking at American drafts. I can't, my brain doesn't want it. It just doesn't work. <laughs> but, mm. but I think if I sat with it for a little bit, and so hopefully that introduction um, is helpful enough. And so hopefully people, you know, if you've been reading, if anyone's a, um, uh, subscribes to Vav Magazine or has ever woven any of those, you'll be totally fine <laughs> with this. But like I said, everything's in English and in both of the measurements because I know um, people all around the world have different ways of measuring things. I guess. <laughs> so, how do you how do you develop your drafts, and what's your favorite part of sharing them with your community? I would say that the main thing is that I have seven hundred million ideas all the time, <laughs> and it's mostly just getting like finding the time to write them down. And um, I have so so many. One of my things I'd like to do in this new year is to take all of those like thousands of pieces of paper with all of these like three threads per centimeter or three ends per centimeter and blah, 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 all these different uh, notes that I've written for myself and, and uh, organizing everything. So it's really just writing them down, sampling, and then seeing where it goes from there. I really like this quote um, from a documentary about this pot maker is what she calls herself. She's a ceramicist called Inge Roman. And so she talks about the things that I myself want to need. That's what she makes. And I really like that. And it feels like um, when I heard that, I went, oh, that's what I do too. Oh, we're, we're so similar. <laughs> and um, so that I make things that I want to have or that I feel like I need for my home, like cloths or like face cloths or, or um, towels or beach towel or all sorts of different things or curtains or pillows, all those sort of things that we love to surround ourselves with. So um, I think the, the thing that I like the most about it is getting that feedback from people about... Um, that it is kind of a new way of thinking about um, where you get information about about drafts and and techniques and materials and how they're used. And that, um, especially, I think for people who are not Swedish, I, th I think that's especially different for them. I mean, again, Bob Magazine has this great English um, version, but uh, another place <laughs> to get um, information about. A different style of weaving so i think mm -hmm. that's my favorite part is that opening people's eyes up to new new ways of thinking about it so i love it yeah. you mentioned vav magazine at a couple times mm -hmm. i recently started stocking it in my shop and sold it out in like a couple days so oh, i have another awesome. another a batch of them coming my way but it's awesome. exciting and i can tell that people are really excited to get their oh, hands good. on it until well, yeah my mother used to, or and I think she still does subscribe to it, but she used to subscribe to it when it was just, they had a little English um, 
booklet inside. Mm. They, they would, and now they have that for German. The English one is so popular that they they printed a complete English version of it, as you know. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I'm uh, stay tuned for the next issue also because they did an interview with me and also Ooh, um, exciting. And also, <laughs> I have two um, drafts there too. So great. It's another exciting collaboration. That I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So. And you're working on a project that's going to be featured on our GIST blog soon, mm-hmm. and actually will probably already be up there when this episode is live. Mm-hmm. And do you want to share a little bit about what you're working on and what people will be able to see in that? Sure. Well, it's sort of the same, um, in that same spirit, where um, I, when I made these bath towel drafts for Vav Magazine, everybody was like, everybody who's seen the real, the you know, the product version of it was like, oh! how luxurious to have your own like bath towel that you've woven. That's amazing. And then of course it like, I made a few of them and I made hand towels too. And it just is this big pile of stuff to use. I don't know. It just is so exciting to have all these things that you've made yourself. So, um, I, for just, I'm going to also make a bath towel, but, um, because I'm working on this four harness thing. So we've the month club this year, last year it was eight, eight harness. And this year it's four harness, which is both really exciting and and something I'm really drawn to, but kind of a challenge for me also as someone who's like used to having 10 or 12 or 20 (laughs) um, harnesses. So, um, so I'm making a, I'm writing or designing a bath towel in a, in a technique I've never used before, which is called droppdrill, which is probably really familiar for Swedish listeners. And, um, but I've never done it before. Uh, And also I'm excited to try a new yarn from you guys, which is a little bit thicker than I'm used to, which I'm really excited about because I, um, I'm excited to get my hands on it (laughs) when it gets past customs here. Oh, it's still stuck. (laughs) It is, but I'm going to, I'll, I'm going to check that out tomorrow. Yeah. (laughs) um, So yeah, yeah. That's great. Well, I'm going to have a link in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you're intrigued and want to see this project, go over to the show notes and you can check that out. And um, where can people go online and on social media to learn more about you and about your work and also to sign up for the Weave of the Month Club? Uh, my website is called, there are two, my website and my Instagram are like similar but very different names. So so um, the website is are clothes modern, like a question, are they mo- are clothes modern? Dot com. Uh, and there you can find information on Weave of the Month Club. It's right up in the um, title tab there. And then my Instagram is at clothing four moderns so similar but different <laughs> and then also studio com, which is studio super um, and those are the places that have all the information about me and my work and people i admire and all sorts of things so perfect and those i'll also link to in the show notes Great. and do you have any closing advice or words of wisdom for weavers out there i do i have i have so many but i, mm. <laughs> I narrowed them down here um the first one, I guess, is to find your weaving people, because when I came after having woven in, in Sweden, um, I went to the States to Eaton Hill Textiles, to, um, Textile Works, and I just, I felt like they sort of got me and were, um, understood the kind of weaving that I wanted to do, which I hadn't quite found in Sweden yet. So try to find your weaving people, try different styles and different, um, maybe different traditions in different countries. And also, uh, and the second one is weave all the time as much as you possibly can, because that's the way that you learn the most, obviously. Um, it's a, something that's really helped me is just making all the mistakes <laughs> and weaving all the things. But then also the last one that I think I've said a, quite a few times is use and wear and admire all of the things you make because the, the stuff that you make is amazing. And so um, it's the best way to get, keep getting inspired is to to use the things that you make or wear them or put them on the wall for everyone 
to admire. So That's really good advice. Thank <laughs> you so much for taking the time to talk today. It was really lovely to oh, hear your story. So. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored. <laughs> Take so. care. Thanks. Bye. That's a wrap. If you'd like to see photos of Ariana's work and links to her website and the Weave of the Month Club, go to www.gistyarn.com slash episode hyphen 48. And on Friday of this week, we'll be publishing a project she wove on her blo our blog. So make sure you're signed up for my email list if you want to receive that. It's really beautiful and I can't wait to share it. Thank you to this week's sponsor, Shepherd's Dream. If you've been thinking about how to take toxins out of your home, working on your mattress and bedding is a great way to start. And you'll be supporting a wonderful small business in the process. Rather than factory-made, Shepherd's Dream uses fine craftsmanship to ensure that all of your natural bedding is deeply rooted in an ancient tradition that values lasting quality versus planned obsolescence. You can shop online at www.shepherdsdream.com and make sure to use the code FIBER5 at checkout for 5% off plus free shipping. Next week on the podcast, LaShawn is talking to Rebecca Burgess of Fibershed. Fibershed started as a personal project of Rebecca's where she sought out a wardrobe that could be tracked within 150 miles of their headquarters. What started as a personal project turned into a pioneering source for the progression towards a more sustainable, equitable textile farming industry across the U.S. Many of the farmers LaShawn has already interviewed for this podcast are Fibershed farmers, so I'm really looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. Tune in next Monday for that, and until next time, happy weaving! <laughs>